The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By Ziptility, the only app utility crews need to find, fix, and manage infrastructure assets from the field. And by Intera, geoscience and engineering solutions. This is session 167. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you for joining me. And I hope this finds you safe and healthy amidst the public health crisis we find ourselves in. Today, Jim Williams, the sitting president of the American Water Works Association, joins us for a discussion about the utility response to COVID-19 and the long and short-term ramifications of the pandemic. But first, a little housekeeping. A hearty thank you to our sponsors, again, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, Ziptility, and Intera. And I'd like for you to do me a favor, if you would, please. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor's firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. If you're interviewing for a job uh, with one of our sponsors, again, please thank them and let them know your appreciation. It's a great way to let uh, the company you're interviewing with know that you uh, care about the industry and you're up to speed and listen to the podcast uh, and that you take an interest in in the water sector. And just by mentioning it to the sponsors, you'd be surprised how far that little thank you uh, will go. It, it, it really means a lot. Uh, and as long as you're letting the sponsors know that you appreciate their support of the water industry, education, and thought leadership that the podcast is providing, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever other podcast directory you access the podcast on. That'd be greatly appreciated and will help others find out about the podcast. So today we have, again, Jim Williams. It's a great interview. Jim does a fantastic job. But before we get to Jim, we have another Bluefield on Tap segment. And uh, this time, Reese is going to bring you the latest on market intelligence from the water sector. So here we go with Bluefield on Tap. Reese, welcome to another Bluefield on Tap. How you doing? It's <laughs> a, a big question. Like, I don't know. We don't have that much time, but yeah, things, all things considered, things are well. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. The world has changed significantly since we last spoke. Uh, what, uh, what's on your mind now? Uh, what, what is Bluefield looking at to, uh, to, to kind of gain some insights from the current state of the water sector? gone a little haywire i think you know what's interesting is just in talking to companies even in q1 uh companies were coming to us to say hey we're interested in water we're looking for something that's recession proof i mean a blue field we've been talking about recession we put out research for better part of six months now trying to figure out what the potential impacts could be i don't think we expected this um, you know, we didn't expect the energy sector to collapse uh, seemingly overnight. We didn't expect 
the impacts of the pandemic to happen. But now what we're seeing, our forecasts are changing across the board. But I think also a lot of people are trying to figure out what's happening across the value chain. What does this mean for industrial and municipal companies? Uh, so that's a lot of our focus. Yeah. And what's kind of uh, the the out, output of that? You know, what what are you guys looking at in that value chain and, and uh, across those sectors? Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, the bigger question or big issue is the industrial side of the equation is getting hurt, is going to be hurt pretty badly. It's, it's fairly acute because not only has, you know, demand just diminished overnight across the board, but the supply chain has had to grind to a halt. So I think industrial service providers across the water landscape are going to be hurt. Also, it's the energy space is a, not to be overlooked, as I mentioned. I think on the municipal side, there is a lot that's happening. And I think um, while there will be some slowdown on large capital expenditures, they'll be deferred and pushed back. It's not as if the municipal water sector is going to go away. And that there's a huge opportunity there, as I've told other people. One way to look at it is the house is on fire. Um, we're still trying to put the fire out. So the backside, let's say the kitchen, has been completely demolished. But soon enough, we're going to have to step back and say, hey, you know, we need to rebuild the kitchen, right? Um, the structure's still in place. We need to rebuild it. What do we want it to look like? And how can we make it better, whether it be just the footprint design, but also the solutions, you know, the wiring, the communication, the lighting, you know, where, the, how are the appliances hooked up? I think the municipal water sector has a chance to do that. There are going to be some federal dollars that come come that way or their way. So that, that's the big picture. But as we know, you and I have talked a fair amount about the digital water space. We've talked about engineering companies. We've talked about utilities and investors. And there's going to be varying impacts. Obviously, the startups are going to be hit pretty hard, right? That valley of death, as they say, um, in the entrepreneurial world, how do you how do you get across it? It became big or bigger um, than it was even two months ago. So the established players are really going to benefit from this. They've got the balance sheets. They've got the, you know, the capital to withstand a recession. Let's hope. Otherwise, we've got bigger problems. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So um, what about, you know, we've we you and I have talked a lot about kind of the M&A activity in the water sector for a long time. Are there going to be buying opportunities and what do those look like uh, in the in the water sector? Definitely. I mean, to my earlier point, you know, there, there's a lot of really good ideas out there. Sometimes they haven't been able to, you know, secure, um, get a toehold in the industry or if they have not strong enough. So the established players, there's going to be some consolidation. They're going to yeah. be picking up, picking up uh, some companies as we go once the dust settles. I think uh, the other it also once the dust settles just municipalities and small and communities they're going to be under financial stress to not only tackle everything from PFAS and aging water networks and you know other other operating issues that they have but now they've got to deal with you know you know uh, you know the billing issues that they're going to face and affordability 
And so the utility assets, and they've been really valuable. They've been, you know, some would say they, they've just been really expensive assets to acquire uh, in the last 12 to 24 months. I mean, because it's fairly resilient, and I think we're going to see that. So there's going to be some op buying opportunities for the large IOUs and maybe even some uh, new market entrants to come in and, and pick up some pieces. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into the affordability because I know that our feature guest Jim Williams and I talk about that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna leave that one alone, and uh, the listener can can tune in a, a little later to that uh, that discussion. Um, I am kind of curious what you you mentioned that capital projects are going to be delayed. Uh, do you have any sense of um, you know what what does what does that the whole construction you know landscape look like for for capital projects and things like that? So I think typically we've looked at the past four or five or set four recessions, I think specifically, and looked at what the impact was over time. And in all four cases, it took eight years for, um, in aggregate, eight years to move into a positive growth mode. Um, as far as capital expenditures go, that which was interesting, but you know, I think what it the impact, but there is a lag in getting to that. The lag really takes about eighteen to twenty four months in all those other cases before we saw anything. This one might come a little bit faster, just because supply and demand, everything has shut down. So someone we just closed the spigot on both ends, and that's it. So that'll take a little while to play out. There will be. You know, any projects that are in place um, that are pretty close being done, those still might happen. So anybody trying to get into the space needs to grab everything you can before there is a slowdown. Um, I think what's also interesting in all the other recessions, OPEX as a whole was pretty positive, right? So operating expenditures, there was really much less impact. In fact, I think on average, there was growth. I think the, you know, the compound have annual growth rate for um, for those last four recessions is positive, about 2.5% growth in all cases over eight years. So that's, as I mentioned, capital will slow after a lag, and then it'll take a while to rebound. I mean, we just were getting back to where we were from the last recession, quite honestly. And then... Um, operating expenditures, which is where a lot of companies have made bets, right? Seeing the services sector is where the opportunity is. They may be in better position going forward, at least in the near near to medium term. All right. Terrific. Well, as always, great insights, Reese. Really appreciate your time. And uh, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Stay safe and healthy. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. Hope it's not. Hope it's uh, things have settled down by the next time we talk. Yeah. So be safe. All right. Thanks, you too. All right. Bye, Reese. Well, Reese always does such a great job giving us the latest market intelligence in the water sector. So thanks very much, Reese. Really appreciate your time. And now it is on to our feature interview with, again, Jim Williams, the sitting president of the American Water Works Association. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Jim, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could come on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I would like to say I'm a big fan of the Water Values Podcast. It's a great way to stay abreast of current events and 
important uh, issues of the day. Yeah. Water space. So good job, job to you. And thanks for all you do. Oh, you bet. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Wouldn't, wouldn't be much without guests like you who are willing to come on and share their stories. Uh, so for, for starters, Jim, can you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, I, um, I live in Mishawaka, Indiana, which is about a hundred miles uh, east of Chicago. And um, while I was in college at Indiana University, I worked uh, in the summers at a company called Puros Midwest uh, that did water supply contracting, hydrogeologic services. So uh, we did well drilling and pumping equipment work. And I worked in the field as a driller and uh, um, in a hands-on way was pulling pumps and setting them. And I gained a familiarity with the water industry a little bit that way. And then when I got my business degree from uh, IU uh, in 1980, my first job out of school was with the Flowway Pumping Equipment Company in Fresno, California. So I moved across the country and uh, kind of immersed myself uh, in the uh, water industry that way. Was uh, transferred to Atlanta, Georgia and spent three years there. And um, when um, I was working at Flowway, I came to uh, become familiar with uh, water treatment technology because of all the pumping equipment applicable in that area, and, and it really fascinated me. And uh, as soon as I found out that um, the water industry had such a significant impact on public health, uh, the hook was set, and I've been uh, doing it uh, ever since. In 1985, I came back to Indiana, and the original owners of Purdles Midwest uh, were looking to sell the company. They were ready to retire. And so myself and four other individuals uh, formed a team to buy the company. At that time, we had about 30 employees. Um, and since that time, we've grown it to over 100 uh, full-time employees with seven offices in five states. So uh, it's been um, a really fun um, uh, growth uh, in this industry. And then uh, almost four years ago, in June of 2016, we partnered up with Suez, which, as you know, is one of the largest environmental service companies in the world. So we are now part of the Suez Advanced Solutions North America family of companies serving the water industry. Right. How I got interested uh, in, the, in the business, of course, was um, in working summers, um, and, uh, you know, getting a feel for it and then learning about pumping equipment and then, of course, the, uh, the impact on public health. And it's been a very rewarding career um, ever since. Yeah, and you've certainly been around it for a long time and you've, you've worked your way up through the trade associations and now you're the uh, sitting president of the American Water Works Association. So congratulations on achieving that milestone. Uh, could you tell us a little, oh, you bet. Could you tell us a little about your, you know, what the role of the AWWA president is and how that, how that differs from the, the, the role of the CEO? Cause we've had David LaFrance on before. I'm just, I just want to make sure the listeners kind of understand what the different roles are at, at AWWA. Sure. Uh, AWWA has a, a governance a methodology that involves a large board of directors. Uh, we have, um, 60 some odd um, members of the board because we want each of our 43 sections to be represented as well as the um, council chairs where a lot of the heavy lifting is done uh, within the association. And then we also have six vice presidents and then we have several at large directors. So uh, it's a big group. And then there is an executive committee, uh, which I chair, 
which is a smaller group, including the council chairs and the vice president, um, where a lot of the uh, hands-on work is done uh, subject to the approval of the, the larger board. Uh, it's really a, a three-year event. Uh, you get elected as uh, incoming president, and then you serve one year uh, as president, and this is my, my year. And then um, next year, uh, um, I will become the immediate past president. So you serve on uh, the executive committee for three years in that way, and uh, keeping oversight over uh, policy and strategy uh, for the association. Now, terrific. And I think it's it's noteworthy that you aren't from a utility itself, right? You're a, you're a vendor to the utility uh, sector. And so it's a, it's it's possible to rise up through the ranks without being a, a, a an employee of a utility or a utility owner, right? It is. Um, within AWWA, we refer to ourselves as a family of five. And that includes utilities, as you mentioned. Uh, it includes uh, consulting engineers. It includes uh, what we call technology providers, and this is the sales and service piece that I am a part of as a water supply contractor. Uh, the fourth member of the family of five we refer to as uh, academia, which also includes researchers. And finally, uh, the regulators are part of the family. So. In the 139-year history of AWWA, historically, uh, the president has come from either the utility or the consulting engineering uh, groups, uh, and I am the second uh, individual to uh, get elected from the technology providers um, part of the family. So uh, we talk a lot about uh, fostering diversity and inclusion within AWWA. In fact, it's one of our core principles. And so I think uh, more and more opportunities are going to be there for uh, individuals uh, that are from the um, family of five that uh, not strictly the utilities and the consulting engineering communities. Right, right. Well, that's that's terrific. I really appreciate all the work that you've done and the work that AWWA does. Uh, you've certainly overseen an eventful uh, first couple of months as president of AWWA, there's been in, in my home state, in our home state, there's been a merger of the, uh, the local section. Um, and of course, COVID-19 has impacted the utility sector and the water sector pretty significantly. Uh, could you, could you talk a little about the, uh, first off, I want to, I want to kind of lay out the map, right? So there's immediate repercussions, uh, and there's long-term repercussions and there's kind of the takeaways, things that we can learn, um, and as well as implementation of disaster preparedness plans. So let's, let's start with that first piece, the immediate repercussions. Can you give, uh, your take on what the immediate repercussions are, uh, of the COVID-19 pandemic? It has been a busy couple of months, as you might expect. <laughs> um, utilities, uh, are responding very quickly to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the, the utility uh, space is, um, it involves dedicated um, uh, public uh, officials who are um, really focused on making sure that public health is taken care of in every possible way. The, the operators in the field, uh, these are very dedicated professionals. The management structures associated with utilities, uh, they're ready for um, problems 
uh, and they have continuity plans in place to accommodate that. Now, this particular uh, issue is most unique as compared to a natural disaster. Um, utilities for a long time have done a, a really nice job responding to uh, natural disasters like hurricanes and such because um, it's a very, um, uh, it's a community that in, in, uh, assists one another in times of need. And so uh, if you have a disaster in one area, resources can flow in from other utilities uh, to help to um, solve the problem. Uh, there's a, um, a, a network, we call it the Water Wastewater Agency Response Network, or WARN, that is designed to provide robust mutual aid anytime a natural disaster occurs. What makes this situation unique is that we're all in this together. And so uh, it's less uh, likely that resources are going to be available uh, from one utility to help another, although uh, that is happening as well in some instances, particularly in the case of small systems. But so what's happening is um, utilities are uh, developing continuity plans. 90% uh, of utilities have them and 7% um, are currently developing them. So um, steps are being taken to um, move employees out of uh, shift rotations uh, to serve as reserve. Uh, we're, we're, we've got a close eye on making sure that uh, we can identify and train as needed um, uh, staff to continue to operate the plants uh, to keep uh, the water flowing. Uh, there's a lot of um, enhanced safety considerations, uh, of course, with uh, increased workstation cleaning, uh, maximizing social distancing. Uh, some, community, or some utilities are um, committed to uh, social distancing their workforce with uh, shift change policies uh, to maintain um, uh, social, social distancing. Some utilities uh, have gone so far as to uh, actually um, go into lockdown in the utilities where, uh, say, a shift of five operators would put in a 12-hour shift and then uh, stay on site. And then another shift of five would um, come into play to continue operating the plant. And they would have um, uh, sleeping uh, accommodations uh, there on site. Uh, food is delivered uh, to the water plant. Um, and so it's just a really good example of how utilities are rolling up their sleeves and uh, getting the job done um, to protect public health. Yeah, uh, those are great examples. I, and, you know, I've kind of seen the pictures of uh, the Winnebago's and stuff like that kind of parked right by the, uh, the treatment plant. Um, so I think that's a unique solution that, that uh, has, has been uh, well implemented. Um, I, I want to ask about a lot of states, the governors have issued kind of stay at home, shelter in place type orders. And uh, there are carve outs for essential services. And, um, you know, utilities are by and large determined to be essential services under those under those orders. Have you, have you seen any or are, are you aware of any issues around the essential services component of that? Just last Friday, uh, the EPA uh, came out with a statement to all governors to encourage them to um, 
understand that in fact uh, utilities are essential services and need to be treated as such and not only the utilities themselves but the uh, critical supply chain and, and uh, services provided to utilities for example um, in my line of work uh, we are in the business of maintaining wells and pumping equipment so um, you know using the proper safety procedures which uh, Suez is particularly good at uh, very well organized in that arena, we're able to go and make sure that the wells and pumping equipment uh, are remain in good condition so that the utilities can in fact uh, stay up and running. And there's other examples of that including you know, key materials in the supply chain that utilities need and uh, other services as well. So um, there was some concern uh, initially, uh, Dave, about that, but uh, more and more uh, people recognize that if we're going to if we're going to beat this virus into submission, if we're going to beat it, it's going to take a, a high quality water supply and wastewater service available uh, in order to make sure that we can do the things we need to do, including routine hand washing and including being able to stay at home, including not having to um, incur the financial burden of stocking up on bottled water when you have um, good, clean, safe, uh, drinking water right at your tap. So, uh, yes, uh, being a considered an essential service is uh, paramount. Yeah, and I'm very, I'm very glad that you brought up the supply chain issue because uh, you know the u- utilities rely on that supply chain. They couldn't, they couldn't function without that supply chain. So I think that's a really important point you brought up. And I will, I will note uh, that we're not given legal opinions here, right? So uh, consult your advisor if you're going to stay open. Uh, if you have a, a shelter at home or a shelter in place order. Um, what about, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, the shutoffs halted. And ironically, the first one I saw uh, was out of Detroit, where they were not only shutting off, uh, halting the shutoffs of water, but they were uh, restoring water service. Can you talk a little about how utilities have, have dealt with that? Uh, yes, I'd be, I'd be glad to. Um you know, clearly, uh, utilities um, require revenue in order to uh, keep their lights on and their doors open. This is a very special set of circumstances here where utilities are uh, waiving a lot of those rules in the interest of beating this virus and, um, and protecting public health. So AWA has a statement of public policy that essentially says that there are certain circumstances that require flexibility uh, when water service is necessary to um, protect public health. And this, is, this pandemic is certainly one of those instances. And so what's happening is right now more than 90% of utilities have already stopped any shutoffs. 98% have plans to do so. So that wave of public service is sweeping the industry in order to keep people um, uh, in water so that um, they can um, employ the CDC's recommendations for hygiene and sanitation because that's the only way we're going to beat this thing. And so, you know, the financial uh, ramifications of this, um, you know, will be addressed later. Uh, Right now, uh, job one is to uh, win the battle against the virus. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty hard to wash your hands when uh, your water's shut off. 
Um, I do want to get into the, 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 the financial ramifications, but I think we're going to do that, uh, later. Uh, one other thing that kind of comes to mind immediately, given all the, the shelter in place type orders is how project delays, um, are, are, are coming around, you know, I mean, utilities have stuff constantly going, there's constantly, uh, capital improvement projects out there. What have you seen out there concerning, um, uh, how, ongoing capital projects are being impacted. Sure. One of the things AWWA is really good at is uh, conducting surveys um, within the industry to provide us useful data that can be used for uh, creation of uh, policies and strategy. So uh, one of our recent surveys suggested that, yes, uh, there are a number of utilities that are at least considering uh, delaying certain project work uh, in the interest of uh, social distancing and also because of potential uh, financial ramifications. So they're being very careful about you know, how they expend their resources. Um, but far and away, um, most are proceeding with those projects that are mission critical to make sure that we can continue to provide the service that uh, the, the uh, public needs to uh, keep, uh, keep the water flowing. But yes, uh, there are a number of utilities that have postponed what I'll refer to as non-mission critical uh, routine maintenance type of um, work, but uh, they are proceeding with all work necessary to make sure that uh, public health and safety uh, is protected. And, you know, and that's not just, say, drinking water, but, uh, of course, uh, fire protection water supplies as well. Right. Yeah, good, very good point. Very good point. Um, so have, have I missed any kind of the immediate repercussion issues? I mean, what what other what, – is there anything else out there that, that uh, we should kind of dive into uh, from the, the immediate repercussions of the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, um, <clears throat> we touched on the financial piece. Um, one thing I'd like to say, and I'm not sure if you were hoping to discuss this later, but I'll address it now. As we know, uh, there is uh, a lot of uh, momentum in Washington for um, support of our economy uh, in the form of stimulus bills. And uh, there's, there's going to be several more stimulus bills that uh, are going to be forthcoming. Um, you know, there's been a lot of really good work that's been done uh, so far uh, in that arena um, to uh, help to provide a relief and support for individuals and for businesses. Um, but um, nothing has been done so far relative to the water space. And um, uh, in the upcoming stimulus packages, we are working very hard to uh, help to influence um, an understanding in Washington of the importance of uh, financial support uh, for the uh, industry. Uh, for example, um, there needs to be um, uh, money uh, devoted to the state revolving loan funds, uh, the low interest loans that utilities use, the WIFIA program, which is the Water Infrastructure Finance and Innovation Act. Uh, that needs to be bolstered. Um, you know, some of the uh, problems that uh, utilities were having with their infrastructure before COVID-19 uh, reared its ugly head, such as lead service line replacement. Um, you know, that is an issue that still needs to be addressed. So, um, 
you know, so there's, we're hopeful we have a, a very um, strong uh, Washington, D.C. staff that is working to address some of those issues. Um, you know, the first, as I mentioned, the first packages were very important. For example, the first bill dealt mostly with uh, federal agencies uh, directly fighting the virus. Um, the second the stimulus bill dealt with extending uh, sick leave benefits, payroll taxes, and such. Uh, the third one, the really big one that uh, just happened last week, uh, that of course involves direct payments to citizens, loans and grants, unemployment benefits, and uh, that type of thing. Well, now Congress is uh, in recess for the next three to four weeks, but when they return, we're hopeful that they have a keen eye on several important points. One is assistance to low-income customers who may have trouble paying their water bills, assistance to water utilities, um, that will see significant losses in revenue uh, due to the, uh, the downturn. And uh, finally, as I mentioned, um, uh, injection of funds into those uh, programs, the SRF and the WIFIA, because those are programs that um, are designed to invest in water infrastructure. And that does two things. One is it provides jobs. It's definitely a job booster. Uh, but equally important, um, it assists utilities with infrastructure problems that uh, many have had uh, for quite some time. So um, I think those are those are key uh, points that need to be considered in this conversation. Yeah, I, those are all excellent points. This is, these are real serious issues, and and thank goodness that uh, AWWA and its uh, team are, are active and on the ball. Uh, in Washington. So when, as we move into the, the long range repercussions, you've, you've already kind of strongly hinted at it in the revenue impacts. Uh, we're going to see a lot more, I think, late payments and bad debt. Also the uh, kind of the quote unquote sales volumes have gone down. Uh, and I don't think that those revenues are going to be offset by any savings in expenses. So, I mean, there's going to be significant shortfalls uh, that our utilities are experiencing. What, um, what lessons can we take from from the revenue shortfalls, or how are utilities preparing uh, for the revenue shortfalls? Uh, yes, and we really haven't wrapped our arms completely around the type of financial implications that we're talking about. We're still we're still trying to understand that, um, and we are um, continuing to uh, survey uh, utilities across North America to gather as much information so that we can communicate um, appropriately uh, with our uh, legislators and so forth. Uh, a couple of our colleagues uh, in the association world, um, the American or the Association of Metropolitan Water Agencies, and also the Association of Clean Water Agencies, they have um, suggested that roughly 12.5 billion would be impacted uh, from uh, the current efforts to defer the shutoff. So, you know, there is some quantification um, that is taking place to try to frame just what kind of, uh, you know, financial impact um, that we're going to have. But really, it's too early to, to speculate as far as, you know, exactly what kind of financial impact there will be. We're working hard to do that. Um, you know, it makes sense that, um, you know, non-essential businesses will be using less water uh, for potentially an extended period of time, and that's a, that, that hurts revenue. 
uh, but residential use may go up because people are at home. So um, once again, we're still trying to quantify that. But you know, the key here is to do everything we can to uh, mitigate the virus, and that's the way the utility industry is is approaching this. And then um, we will, um, you know, work hard to make sure that we are financially viable once we fully understand what's going to be necessary to do that. Yeah, uh, great, great points. Um, I've, I, so I've got a bit of a theory. So I, I used to work with a consultant who's who's now retired, but he always used to say uh, when when talking about kind of volumetric rates, uh, you know, he kind of say that you know, hey, con- or conservation rates are great you know, um, but you got to be careful because they might work. And, um, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking that the utilities that have a, a, that weight their, um, rates toward a more volumetric structure are going to be hurt more than the ones that have a kind of a higher fixed fee for base service with a lower component of volumetric. Uh, I'm kind of curious, if you have any thoughts on on how that rate design issues might might be addressed going forward, you know, are utilities going to move more toward? Because I think we already were seeing a move towards the fixed fee, uh, at, at least in the energy space. I know there was a, a movement more towards fixed fee to, to gain certainty. But I'm just kind of curious if if there's any thoughts out there floating around out there about. Um, conservation rates, volumetric type rates, and how the the revenue uh, crunch that we're in right now might impact that. Well, Dave, you're exactly right. I mean, there are fixed costs associated with running a utility that are there um, no matter how much water you're pumping or not pumping. So, And those fixed costs definitely need to be accommodated in order to provide resilient and sustainable uh, utility operations now. Yes, uh, there are variable costs. For example, when you pump more water, um, there's more chemical usage, there's more electricity uh, used, uh, there's typically more maintenance of the equipment, so there are certainly variable costs. But the key is to make sure that in times of low usage that you can still have um, the financial wherewithal to run a fully sustainable, fully functional uh, utility that uh, is uh, in no danger of um, jeopardizing public health. So, yes, uh, as you said, uh, there is a, a brisk conversation surrounding that, and I think we'll see uh, going forward uh, some changes in rate structures to address that problem. Yeah, yeah. So, the, the in terms of those changes to rate structures, one of them would is, is the potential move towards a greater fixed fee. What about the, the whole water equity movement that has really started started to rise up here in the last one to two years. Um, you know, are we going to see more, uh, you know, affordability, affordability measures put in place, uh, to, to help out because really I, my sense is this pandemic is hurting the people that, that couldn't afford to be hurt the worst. Um, and to the extent we can, we can have statutory schemes or things like that put in place to allow greater customer, uh, you know, uh, customer assistance plans or lifeline rates or things like that. I mean, what is, what is your take on, on uh, other rate design measures that we might be able to implement to, to get through the uh, situations like we're, we're experiencing now? 
over the course of the last couple of years, even before the pandemic, um, uh, there has been uh, a very robust conversation surrounding affordability. And it's important because uh, conversely, uh, there's a very uh, brisk uh, conversation surrounding the need for full cost of service pricing because, I mean, we've been talking about our aging infrastructure for decades and the time has come for us to fund the um, infrastructure needs that we have uh, to allow a, a, a highly reliable uh, water and wastewater system uh, throughout the world. And so and those obviously are conflicting concepts. So how do we, how do we make sure that we are, we are fully and properly funded in order to meet all of the essential costs associated with running utility and yet be very sensitive to the affordability issue? AWWA has conducted uh, a variety of symposia, um, you know, concerning the subject. Um, there's uh, a lot of best practice sharing between uh, those utilities. I know Philadelphia is one and there's others that have developed um, uh, affordability programs to uh, assist those that are most in need uh, while at the same time uh, being able to maintain an adequately funded utility. Some utilities, some smaller utilities, um, offer uh, assistance with um, aligning uh, some customers in needs with uh, local charities. Uh, that's a very common practice in, in some of the smaller utilities. So yes, there's a lot of innovative thinking uh, surrounding this uh, need to have full cost of service pricing, but yet, uh, be sensitive uh, to the affordability issue for those in need. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I, I, I would bet there is some innovative uh, researcher or scholar out there that, that might take a look at how Philadelphia, for example's financial resiliency compared to maybe a community that had a, a higher, you know, more traditional rate structure or even conservation type rates in place. I think that would be a really interesting, interesting uh, research project. Um, well, kind of as we kind of pivot uh, towards the future, what what uh, changes are are you thinking that the COVID nineteen pandemic might bring about in the in the water sector? Well, there's a, a couple I think that are pretty significant. I would say that uh, first and foremost, the sector needs to be prepared for an all hazards approach to emergency preparedness. And this is not an abstract idea. Um, you know, we've seen how quickly a uh, potential concern can become a major crisis. This, this thing has moved very fast. And I think that we can be very proud of how our sector was prepared and, and the responses were developed. But when the dust settles, we need to evaluate and be better the next time around. We, may, we need to make sure we have a plan B for making sure our, our systems can operate with a skeleton staff. Uh, we need to make sure that we have strong contingency plans for supply chain disruptions. Uh, we need to enhance our communication strategies, both internally and externally. I know there are a lot, there's a lot of um, incorrect information um, floating around about the safety of our tap water. The, um, the, the fact that, um, you know, tap, uh, 
services are not being shut down. And we have to make it clear uh, to the public that no, the, the um, utility business is uh, going to continue to serve uh, even those uh, that are delinquent because that is what we do. We are in the business of protecting public health. So there's certainly um, there's a lot of lessons to be learned about how to address this type of situation in the future if um, we are in the unfortunate uh, condition of having to deal with it um, again. And the second thing uh, I think is that we need to uh, elevate the importance of water service and water workers in good times as well as in times of crisis. We need to have a public recognition of uh, the value of water, the importance of water, and those professionals that are um, doing a life-saving work every day and make sure that decision makers support investments to keep our water systems healthy. Amen. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. And that, that sounds like a, uh, like, like a leave behind message. I mean, I, I'll, I'll flip it to you if you have any, any final words. Well, let me mention just a couple other points. Um, oh, sure. We, and, and one to amplify um, the point that I just made, and that is that uh, we talk a lot about the heroic work of health professionals and first responders who are placing themselves in harm's way. Uh, the grocery stores, uh, the, the, the people in the transportation business that are keeping us healthy and safe, and we should. These people are very heroic. But it's really important that given the essential nature, nature of water service, that the work of water professionals is equally as important and heroic. We also need to know that um, without safe water at the tap, we could not wash our hands. Um, and this is a necessity if we're going to stop the spread, nor would it be possible to flush our toilets. And there is no need to rush out and buy bottled water. You know, and, and when you see the, um, oh, I'll call it panic buying of toilet paper and sanitizer and bottled water, and oftentimes by folks that are financially distressed, um, you know, we need to get the message out loud and clear that tap water is as safe as bottled water, and there's no need for that. Um, and finally, uh, many of your listeners I know have heard me speak about water professionals serving in a vocation of distinction. And these days, um, it's important to know that the water profession is also a vocation of heroism. Terrific. Well, Jim, I, I, I agree with you, and I, I, I think that your leadership uh, – it has been tremendous throughout this, this crisis. And, uh, especially it's coming right at the beginning of your tenure as president. And, uh, so just thank you for all your work and all the effort you've done, um, at the AWWA and highlighting these issues and coming on and speaking with us today. You've been absolutely terrific. I really appreciate it. Um, for the final question, can you just uh, tell folks that would like to find out more about you, more about the AWWA, where they can go to get that information. Yes, I'd be glad to. Uh, AWWA has a, a, a very uh, powerful website with a lot of good information, awwa.org. And if you're interested in uh, specifically on the coronavirus issue, uh, there is awwa.org slash coronavirus, where... Um, significant information is there uh, specific to the pandemic. Terrific. Well, 
Jim, again, thank you again for your time. Thank you again for your leadership. And we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate your time. Bye. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate the invite. You bet. We'll talk to you soon. Well, what a terrific interview from Jim. Really appreciate his time. And it is it is pretty easy to see how knowledgeable and thoughtful Jim is. And it's, it's also easy to see why he was elected to sit as president of the American Waterworks Association. So thank you, Jim. Uh, terrific interview, terrific job leading uh, the AWWA during these uh, trying times. Well, let me know what you liked about the podcast. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. Uh, you can tweet at me. My handle is at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values. Uh, you can go sign up for the newsletter. You can do that. Uh, just type in thewatervalues.com. That should reroute you to the current uh, webpage that we're being hosted on, and that would be terrific if you sign up for the newsletter and you can kind of get everything. Uh, it, we don't spam you. We just uh, send a, uh, an email, email newsletter to you. Uh, twice a month. And it uh, it's just a great way to stay abreast of what's going on in the water sector. Well, again, thank you for tuning in. And a huge, huge, huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors are Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black and Veatch, Ziptility, and Intera. Thank you again for those sponsors. You're, you have uh, really helped uh, elevate the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.